chapter number 14 tonight, where we're going to be. And uh, we saw last week the introduction to the life of Samson and how each letter of Samson's name had uh, pointed out an attribute that he was living by. Um, and we want to focus in on his life a little bit tonight. As a pastor, uh, it is my job to preach the whole counsel of God. Uh, I'm to preach the word, to be instant in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And it's not just my job to teach the adults, it's my job to preach the young people, to preach to all of us. And so tonight's going to be a mixture of a message. going to speak to our young people a little bit tonight, uh, speak to our adults again tonight, and uh, try to encourage you uh, this evening according to what we're learning from Samson's life and some biblical principles that we need to apply uh, in our life tonight as well. I want you to see in Judges chapter number 14, starting in verse number 1, we're going to read down through verse number 9 right now. It says, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren? Or among all thy people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord, that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he, ran in, and he ran him as he would have ran a kid, and he had nothing in his hands, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after a time he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of a lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and he gave them and they did eat. But he told them not that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. There are several things that we see in these passages, in this verses, and we'll get into some of this in Samson's life. But uh, Samson chose some wrong paths in his life. He went to the wrong places was in the wrong places at the wrong times. It wasn't where he was supposed to be. But the fact is, uh, we choose the wrong path as well, oftentimes in our life. And I'm going to preach a message to you tonight on what path are you taking. What path are you taking? We're going to talk about the life of Samson. We're going to look at our lives and see where we are versus where Samson was. And uh, hopefully it will be a help to us tonight. Let's pray, Lord. We love you. Thank you for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to get into your word tonight. Lord, uh, I'm going to try to teach a lesson tonight, but as well preach. And I pray that you'll use this tonight to speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that as we leave here tonight that we'll be changed uh, closer to you than we've ever been, Lord. And we just thank you and praise you for all your many blessings. Be with those that may be, uh, be here tonight that may not be saved. I pray that you'll uh, just help them, Lord, to see their need of salvation. Lord, if there's any here tonight struggling on the fence, deciding what side to get on to, Lord, I pray they'll choose you tonight. Lord, I pray to be with those who just chose not to come to church tonight. Because of a football game or whatever it may be, I pray that you'll convict their hearts about that. Lord, I pray that you'll uh, convict the churches that have closed their doors this evening because of a football game. Lord, may we never put anything above you. 
May you always be preeminent in all things. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. The entire biblical history of the life of Samson's actions, except for two introductory verses in chapter 13, and I want you to see this, verse 24 and 25, it says, And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at, uh, at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. When you read those verses, it sounds like a great thing. It sounds like, man, Samson's going to be doing a great work. But in all of his life, except for those verses, it revolves around his entanglement with ungodly women and squandering his potential. That's what we read about in the life of Samson. Except those two verses, yes, we see the power of God came upon him, and that's a great, great uh, testimony to the fact that God still gives us grace in our sin. God still helps us out when we shouldn't be helped. And we're going to see that in certain areas. But three women played a huge role in Samson's life. You had the woman of Timnath, the harlot of Geza, and Delilah in the valley of Zorak. Uh, if we would take these stories and remove these stories around these women, most of the life of Samson would have gone unrecorded. If we remove these acts and this, most of what we read about in Samson's life wouldn't be there. But God put it there for a purpose. Samson's involvement with these women greatly limited his potential in service for the Lord and caused an early end of his work and his life uh, because of the choices that he made to follow in this direction. Samson was known for his strength. When we read about Samson, we think of strength and all of those things, but he was very weak because he had no self-control. Though he was physically strong, he was spiritually weak. And true strength in our life is not determined by how much weight you can lift, but the discipline and control over our actions. That's where true strength lies. Discipline and control not only over our actions, but over our attitudes and over our, our sinful appetites. That's where strength really comes in. Though Samson was physically strong, and we read about that, he had no control over his own actions, over his own attitudes, over his own appetites. And the Bible says, he, uh, he that hath no control, he had no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. That means we're defenseless if we can't rule our own spirit. We can't control our own actions. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32, I want you to turn there if you would please. Proverbs chapter number 16 and verse number 32. I'm going to read this verse to you. It says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. It's talking about this, and if you can control your spirit... That's more important than having physical strength. It's more important than being able to have all kinds of skill to win a physical battle. If you can't win a spiritual battle and control yourself spiritually and emotionally, then you're going to have some problems in your life. You're going to have some problems. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us power to have control over our own self. Why? Because when we're born, we're born in flesh. The Bible says in sin did our mother conceive us. When we're born, we're born sinners. You don't have to teach us how to do wrong. You have to teach us how to do right because our nature is to sin. I remember my, our, my, my children, my wife and I, we, we had talked about things, what we were going to do when we had kids and all this stuff. But I forgot about one thing, Brother Eddie, is they had my genetics. 
And so these kids would do things sometimes, and we think, what in the world? Where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from, a sinful father. That's where it came from. The fact is, we're all sinners, and we're born in sin. I did not have to teach our children how to do wrong. That came natural, because that's our fleshly appetite. I had to teach them how to do right. And guess what? Until they get saved, it's, it's hard for them to understand what true righteousness is all about. And when we have our lives and we understand it's the Holy Spirit that gives us power to have control over our own selves. If you're not walking in the Spirit, you're not going to have control over your own sinful appetites, over your actions and your attitudes. And we got to walk in the Spirit. And we're going to look at Samson's life and see what we can learn about his victories and about his failures. We're going to look over the next couple weeks through Samson's life and different things. I know next Sunday night we'll be somewhere else uh, at Shenandoah, but the following Sunday we'll get into uh, some of that and talk about some things. But I want to talk to you about this downward path that Samson began to take. In chapter 13, the last two verses, we read about how the child grew and the Lord blessed him and the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and uh, Eshtel. But I want you to see the first four words in this chapter 14 it says this and Samson went down and Samson went down and as we read through the first seven verses you'll see that three times and we'll get back to it in a few minutes but we're going to see uh this downward path that he took Timnath was a village about three miles to the southwest of Samson's hometown it originally belonged to the tribe of Dan but it was inhabited now by the Philistines Verse 1, if we look at this, reveals something to me about Samson taking a step in the wrong direction. Samson was going down to a place he had no business going. Samson was leaving uh, where he was supposed to be, and he was going in the wrong direction. And he, uh, his travels downward, he was traveling down geographically, if you look at where he was going. But he wasn't just going geographically down, he was going spiritually down when he was going to this place. Because when he was going to Timnath, it was where the enemies of God were. It was in a place where Samson wasn't supposed to be. Samson wasn't supposed to be going down that direction right now. But he was going to Timnath and he was heading in a downward, downward spiral. The whole pursuit, this whole pursuit in his life spoke of evil. He began to try to court an unbeliever. Somebody that was an enemy of God. His Natural affection was going towards one that he had no business going towards. And oftentimes that's where we begin to have problems. Because Samson was not living by faith, he was living by sight. Samson was appealing to the three things that we struggle with. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Samson, when he began to go down in the wrong direction, he began to go down spiritually. And he, his choice of a wife was based upon what he saw. Look what it says in this verse. And he came up and told his father. Look what it says when he came back up from being down. It says he told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. He said, I saw a woman in Timnath. You think he had time to find out how spiritual this young lady was? You think he had time to figure out if she was the one that God intended for him? He said, no, she pleased me well. Get her for me. I saw her, and he began to have that lust of the eyes in his life, and it began to cripple him spiritually. 
The priority of Samson's life was how can I please myself, not how can I please my God. When our decisions for a spouse in our life, young people listen to me, are based on sight instead of biblical principles of godliness and character, you're heading for a downward path. You don't need to go to the world to find somebody who's going to be godly in your life. You need to go to a place that's godly. Oftentimes, the reason there's some couples that struggle in their marriage is because they base their relationship on sight alone, not on spirituality. Choices based upon sight alone will lead to several consequences in our life. If you base things just on what you see, it's going to affect certain things in your life. First off, you're going to be deceived. Why? Because a person may look good on the outside, but they may not be good on the inside. They may look good on the outside, but on the inside, they may be the wicked witch of the West. Or they may be the beast that you find out. You never know. Because if you base things solely on sight and not on spirituality, you're in for a world of hurt. I praise the Lord that my wife wasn't based on sight, what she, what she saw in me, because I wouldn't be married to her. Praise God. I took her glasses from her. Until she said, I do. Then I gave them back. Praise God. There's times we wonder why it seemed like, man, that person was so sweet. Oh, it seemed like, wow, they were so pretty or they were so handsome or whatever. And then you get married and all of a sudden you find out, what did I do? Because you didn't base your decision on what God thinks and godly principles. You based it on what you saw. And it's not just in a marriage relationship, young people and adults alike. It's in everything that we do. When we look and it pleaseth us, that's how Adam and Eve started. If you think about when Eve, it said she saw that it was the pleasant to the eyes and the desire to make one wise, she took of it. It started out with that lust of the flesh, that lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This downward path brought some deception, and guess what? That deception will lead to disappointment in your life. Things aren't always a Cinderella story. They don't always have a happy ending. We may think, well, you know what? We can live how we want to live and do what we want to do because God loves us. He's just going to make it all work out just fine. No, there's consequences for bad choices. And when we make these bad choices, there's consequences that we have to live with. And when you base things solely on sight and you don't seek the counsel of God and you don't look for the right places, you're headed out for big disappointment. Your fantasy life is going to be replaced by reality in a real quick hurry. You'll see the bad sides, the negatives, the faults, the weaknesses of your spouse. And I've heard people say to me this in counseling. If I would have known they were like this, I'd have never married them. And the whole thing could have been avoided had they looked through the biblical principles and found people in the right way and doing the right thing. Listen, I'm trying to teach you and help you tonight, young people. Listen, when you're looking for a spouse, don't look based solely on what you see on the outside. Seek some godly counsel of those around you, and we're going to see some things that take place, but you won't have to live with a bunch of regret if you'll do things the right way. You pay an ultimate price by your choices that are by sight alone. If it looks good or feels good, that's the way the world thinks. If it looks good, it feels good, do it. And that's not the way that we ought to live our life by, but that's how Samson lived his life. Everything that glitters is not gold. Just so you understand it. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. But that sin has eternal consequences. Satan will show you temporary delights without showing you eternal disaster. 
He dangles that in front of you and says, oh, look how wonderful this is. And here's Samson. First off, he was heading in the wrong direction. And you can avoid a whole lot of things in your life if you just stay put where you're supposed to be. If you'll be where you're supposed to be, it'll avoid a whole lot of problems. Just like David. A time when kings were supposed to go forth to battle, but David tarried in Jerusalem. And that lust of the eyes began to bring some big disappointment in his life. Hollywood has done a good job of making these glamour girls and these buff guys and all this stuff and say, wow, look how wonderful this is. And it ends up every one of them that you talk about probably been divorced 37 times and miserable in their life. Why? Because they're looking at what the eye is appealed to rather than what spirituality is all about. Walking by sight is a weak foundation for a long-term relationship. When you live by sight, it's a, it's a weak foundation for a long-time relationship. You know what uh, saddens me in our society today? I was talking with my grandmother yesterday, and her and my granddad had been, were married for 63 years. And I thought, wow, what a blessing. That's awesome. Praise God for that. And my wife and I have been married 18 years. And I remember, I think it was when we were married for 13 years, we were in the, the pharmacy one time and there was, we were at the register and the lady was, Lori was paying for something and she needed some change and she didn't even have to ask me. I was just standing there trying to, you know, think of what needed to be done here. She needed some change. I pulled it out of my pocket, just put it down. And the lady's like, oh, isn't that sweet? He can't read your mind or whatever. And we were like, how long have you guys been married? I said, 13 years. And she's like, 13 years. That's a long time. And I thought, you know what, how sad that is. That 13 years is a long time to somebody. You know what happens? Why marriages can last for a long time is if we base them solely on the scriptures and what somebody is based on the word of God. Now listen, you can't change what's happened in your life. Just understand that, but you can change the future. And the fact of the matter is this, we need to just be dedicated that we're not going to base our relationships and our actions and the things that we do based solely on sight. We're not going to do that. Because Satan wants things to look good to you. He wants them to look good on the outside. I've never watched a Budweiser commercial that showed somebody throwing up in the, in the gutter. Never seen that before. Never watched a commercial advertising the cigarettes where somebody's dying of lung cancer. Never seen that before. Never watched them when they have these Budweiser commercials at the Super Bowl, by the way, which is a bunch of garbage during the commercial times that you, read, that you see and all this other junk. But they make it the life of drugs and the life of alcohol and the life of all this stuff. Man, all that glitters is gold, man. Just sow, sow your wild oats, live it up, and man, you're going to be great. You might be a Super Bowl star one day. You know what they do? But they don't tell you about the misery and the heartache that it causes. They don't tell you about the tragedy and the broken lives and the broken families because of sin. If you were driving down the road and you saw a billboard that said, hey, drink Budweiser and die of liver disease, nobody would do it. But they don't do that. Why? Because they show you those temporary delights without the eternal disasters. And you're headed down for a lot of discouragement when you, when you start heading in the downward path the way that Samson did. In our lives, you start seeing that downward spiral in our lives that deception that comes a disappointment but guess what there's also decay we get old don't we that lady that was wow she was so beautiful when we got married she's gonna get wrinkles one day and that guy who was all buff and muscular it's gonna drop to here and he's gonna get a big belly okay don't say anything honey okay 
you're going to get a big belly. My big belly is because of this little one right here making me peanut butter cookies and things like that. That's what I'm going to say. It's, it's the little girl God gave into the church. Now, <laughs> the fact is, we're not always going to look the same way we looked when we found each other. If you base everything solely on sight, you're going to be greatly disappointed when you grow old. Why? Because wrinkles happen. Health happens. Sometimes accidents happen and disfigurement comes or whatever it may be. And you can't always trust on what you see, but you can trust on what's on the inside. I heard a phrase that said, beauty's only skin deep, but ugly goes straight to the bone. And the fact of the matter is this, people that may be pretty on the outside may be ugly on the inside. And if you base things solely on sight here, Samson said, I saw her. Get her for me. I saw someone in Timnath. Get her for me. He didn't say, Dad, man, I found this spiritual girl. We do Bible studies. Man, we talk about the Lord. We pray together. He didn't do that. He came back and said, hey, I saw her. Get her for me. You know what? He was allowing this to cause him some problems. My granddad, one time I heard him say, they grow old and turn into Rice Krispies. They snap, crackle, and pop all the time they get up. I remember my granddad saying that I read one of those quotes. My grandmother gave me a book uh, that my granddad had, and I was looking through some of the books that I've gotten from him over the past. I saw that phrase in there. I thought that was pretty funny. I wrote that down, but the fact is we're going to get old. We're going to change physically. If our affection is based on sight, it'll disappear when the wrinkles come. It'll disappear when there's some tragedy that happens in your life. When our hair falls out, fellas, changes a little bit. Brother Ron's hair don't fall out, right? But you know what? That decay then causes depression. Depression that comes in our life. When we begin to have these things that we once saw that were glamorous and good and now they're not, we begin to get depressed and we long for something else. We long for something that we don't have. And that draw begins to pull us, pull us, pull us towards that temptation again to do the wrong thing. Temptation is forever making an appeal through that eye gate. It's an effective tool that Satan uses to get godly Christians sidetracked with what looks good on the outside. There's thousands of young people that have got distracted from doing what God wants them to do, to do what they wanted to do, and they were brought away by godless beauty. Beauty is not sinful, but outward beauty is never becomes more important than inward beauty. It's not sinful for somebody to be beautiful or pretty or handsome. What's beautiful is when, or what's wrong is when you look at that solely and make your decision based on that. I've heard people say to me in the past, well, when I first met them, man, they were pretty, and we started talking, they were nice, and did you ask if they were saved? Did you ask if they knew the Lord, if they were spiritual? See, you know, I think oftentimes what we have done is we have, and I'm listen, I'm not against, we have a lot of, uh, good-looking young people in our church. Okay, a lot of these cute little kids, I'm telling you, they're adorable when you see them serving, serving the Lord and things like that. They're adorable little kids. But I think sometimes we take the focus off of what's important and we remind them how cute they are and how pretty they are and all of this stuff and we don't tell them how spiritual they could be. 
We don't commend them for their actions for Christ, but rather they're, oh, wow, how good looking that young person is. And we mistake things. Listen, I'm not saying that we should look at them and say, listen, you, you know, you ought to look ratty and, and all this stuff. I think that you should take care of yourself. Our body's the temple of the Lord. We ought to take a bath. Boys, I'm talking to you, okay? Uh, we ought to take baths. See, I, I used to, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, so I have this mindset. I used to tell them, Brother Eddie, deodorant is for after shower, not instead of shower. Okay? It's not to replace the shower. It's after the shower. Okay? That's what it's for. Uh, I believe that we ought to use a comb if we have hair to comb. Okay? Uh, I believe we ought to look decent. I believe we ought to present ourselves. Why? Our, people do see what's on the outside. And we ought to be a good testimony and things like that. But parents, listen, let's not get so caught up in the cuteness of our children that we forget to remind them what it's like to have manners. How it pleases God to be respectful. How it pleases God for them to be courteous and kind and hardworking. When a young person's willing to get out there and work, we ought to commend them for their work. When our young people are courteous to others, we ought to remind them how wonderful it is and how it pleases God for them to be that way. When they're thoughtful to others and they, we praise their character rather than their physical attributes. I think the reason that people look so much into that is they've been told that that's what, it, that's what matters more than anything. Is how we look on the outside rather than how we are on the inside. Listen, we can reproduce character, but we can't reproduce cute. Think about that. We can, re- we can reproduce good behavior. We can't reproduce physical attributes. That's up to the Lord. And as we begin to go through our life, it doesn't matter if it was Mr. Universe at one time. He's going to get old one day and he's going to change. But who we are on the inside is based on our relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. See, Samson was a strong man on the outside, but he was weak spiritually. Yes, God gave plenty of opportunity. We're going to talk about here in just a few minutes of the miracles that God did in spite of his sin and in spite of him turning away from God. But he chose the wrong path. He was on the downward path. But I want you to see not only this downward path, look at the demand he makes to his parents. Verse 2, And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Whoa. Samson tells his parents, get her for me. He says, in pursuing this relationship with this Philistine woman, he demonstrates disobedience in two areas. Disobedience to God's law as an Israelite was one. But disobedience as a Nazarite in the second place. He wasn't supposed to be in certain areas. Wives were not supposed to be taken from among the uh, idolatrous people of the land. God gave this command to his Israelite people in Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy chapter 7. If you want to look at those, God gave them that command. Intermarriage with unbelievers has always been against God's will. Solomon disobeyed this principle in 1 Kings 11 and it took his heart away from God. In, In the time of Ezra... In the Bible, there were some heathenistic things going on and intermarriage and such became a serious problem that Ezra devoted the last two chapters of the book of Ezra to this issue. Why? Because God says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It's what God tells us to do. The New Testament teaches us not to marry unbelievers, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 
Verse 39 says this, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. Only in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light, light with darkness? In Amos 3, 3, it says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Here's Samson's demand. Get her for me. Get her for me. His demand was to mix what was considered unclean and unholy with what God wanted to be holy. And you can't mix both of the those worlds together why because there's two masters in those things the bible says no man can serve two masters you can't serve satan and god god's not pleased with that samson was trying to do just that samson was trying to be that judge that god wanted him to be but he was also trying to live it up in the world he was going down to Timnath, and uh, we're going to read, it talks about he goes down to a harlot, and then he finds Delilah later on. All of these were something that was sidetracking him from what God wanted him to do. Samson's demand to get her for me comes, and guess what? There are some good things that we see what happens. First off, he comes to his parents, because the custom of that day was the parents did the negotiations in the wedding. Man, I wish we got back to that. I'd be like, oh, here we go. This is going to be good, okay? This negotiation process. It'd be like this. No. That's the negotiation process, okay? I don't think so. All right? I'm joking about that. I know God has a, has a man designed for each of my girls, and I'm looking forward to that day. Not really, but I'm looking forward to it. And I believe with all my heart God has some poor lady that's going to be there for Carter one of these days. And uh, praise the Lord for that. And I like to joke with him, but guess what? There's some good things we see here. First, he comes back to his parents like he should. You young people, guess what? You ought to come to your parents when you're faced with this decision. Samson's pattern for going to his parents is commendable. But guess what? He has the wrong motives and the wrong method in how he comes. It is very wise to involve your parents in this decision. Why? Because I promise you this, your parents love you more than that person does. Your parents know things. God gives wisdom to the parents from the outside looking in that can save you from a whole lot of heartache if you'll just listen to your parents from the beginning. My wife still hasn't forgiven her parents because it's her parents that started the whole thing. Her dad stopped the van and says, hey, you got a phone number or something? And I said, yeah, do you guys have a phone number or something? And she still thinks today that I only called her because her dad asked me for the phone number and all that stuff. But it's not true. Okay, that's not true. But it is wise to involve your parents in these decisions. They see things in a person's character that you may not see. Your parents will see things in the lives of other people that you won't see because you're looking with the eyes, not with the wisdom of God. You'll be wise to get their counsel, their blessing. But Samson was not asking for their counsel. Samson was not asking for their blessing. Samson was coming with a demanding statement. He says, get her for me. You know what this shows me? It shows me disrespect for the authority in Samson's life. Samson shows me a huge disrespect when he looks at his dad and he says, get her for me. First off, who does he think he is? Here's the parents that raised him, that took care of him, 
that watched over him, that were trying to help him to do the things that the Lord wanted him to do. And now he goes to the wrong place and he has the audacity to come back and look at those parents that have been trying to lead him down the right path and say, do this for me. First off, young people, let me help you with something. The entitlement mentality is not of God. You're not entitled to anything except hell. That's what we're entitled to. But by the grace of Almighty God and by His love and grace, we are blessed beyond measure. But we, don't, we aren't entitled, and your parents don't have to give you anything. There's kids that I know that say, you better get this for me or else, or else what? The fact is, parents, it's time for us to stand up and be parents and learn a very, 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 very powerful sentence. No. Very powerful sentence. I don't care if they stomp, throw a fit, no. And young people, when your parents tell you no, most of the time it's for your own good. Because they know what's disastrous in your path. And they're not trying to be uh, uh, hard-hearted towards you. They're not trying to be unkind towards you. They love you and they're trying to keep boundaries to keep the world from infiltrating your life. But Samson went down. He went down. Listen, if you're not right with your parents, young people, you're not right with God. Ephesians chapter number 6. I want you to look there quickly. Ephesians chapter number 6. Listen, I, I want you to see what the Bible says here. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long... On the earth. You see what the Bible says about being right with your parents? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. For what is right? Obedience is right. Obey them. Do what they tell you to do. Honor your father and your mother. It doesn't say obey your parents when they are right. It says obey them for obedience is right. Obey them. But guess what, parents? It's our job to make sure we're in tune with the Lord and doing the right thing because the verse after says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. His demand reveals the disrespect and the disconnect that he had with his parents. What a rebellious heart that Samson had. And guess what? Sin always leads to rebellion. When you allow that lust of the eyes, that lust of the flesh, and the pride of life in your life, it always leads to a rebellious heart towards those in authority. You see where we're at in our society today, don't you? People that feel there's no consequences for actions. People that feel like they're entitled. They can have whatever they want, don't have to work for it. They can get all, I deserve it. No, we don't deserve anything but hell. That's what we deserve. Disrespect for your parents can be displayed in certain ways by talking back, slamming the bedroom door, stomping your feet when giving a command, pouting when your parents tell you to do something. All of these show a disrespect. There's a thing that we tried to teach our children. Guess what? They're not perfect and it doesn't always happen because we aren't the same way with God all the time. We tried to teach them this, obey all the way, right away, and in a happy way. All the way, right away, and in a happy way. It's not a negotiation. When you tell your child, hey, take out the trash, it's not a negotiation. If they feel like it, they ought to do it. Why? You're teaching them immediate obedience. 
Why? Because there's going to come a day in their life, God is going to command them to do something, and they need to obey right away. You understand, it's our job to train them to obey God immediately. It's what God wants us to do. we got to stop giving our parents fits, young people. I've seen it so much. The time I spent as a youth pastor and now as a pastor, I see it in stores all over the place. We have children running the home rather than parents running the home. And we wonder why our homes are in disarray and chaos. Because you have somebody who don't have enough sense to choose uh, what is right and wrong. And I'm not saying they're dumb. I'm saying they're naive and they need to be taught. The fact is you have somebody who's immature physically that is growing up trying to tell their parents what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. Listen, the greatest thing you can ever learn, young people, is this, is learn from the actions and the experience of others. People that have been where you are. By the way, your parents were your age at one time. Very difficult to understand. it. Yeah, but you don't understand. That's like looking at God and saying, God, you don't understand. The fact is, young people, we do understand. We've been where you are. We struggled with the emotions. We know what it's all about. And we've learned from mistakes and different things like that. You'd be wise to seek godly counsel in those areas. Why? Because there's going to come a day that you're going to have to answer for the things that you do. Look at verse 3. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all thy people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth her well, pleaseth me well. Listen, the disappointment that his parents had in this, they're speaking to him and they're labeling this correctly. The parents are looking at him and saying, Listen, she's an uncircumcised Philistine. They're calling it just like it is. They're not beating around the bush with it. I can imagine there's some disappointment. They said, listen, isn't there anybody of the Israelites here, of, of, of what we're doing here? Isn't there anybody of our people that you can find? She's an uncircumcised Philistine. That means she's not part of God's family. You shouldn't be choosing her. And it's okay to call sin, sin. Wicked people try to use nice names to deceive people about what sin is all about they call abortion pro-choice it's not a choice at all if it's murder that's exactly what it is alcoholism they say it's a disease not drunkenness adultery they say it's an extramarital relationship god calls it wickedness and shame and reproach homosexuality is called an alternative lifestyle god calls an abomination See, they try to give it a beautiful jacket on the outside, don't they? Oh, make it look and ease us into those sins, don't they? Oh, well, if, if you got somebody who's an alcoholic, they were just born that. It's a disease that they have. No, it was a choice they made. I've never seen anybody who got addicted to drugs that never started at first and made a choice to take them. I've never seen a drunkard who never took a drink become a drunkard. Guess what, Brother Nick? I've never tasted alcohol, and I've never become a drunk. Isn't that a shock? The fact is, when you make a choice, there's consequences for those choices. And the, the world does a good job trying to desensitize us to the fact that we just need to call sin what it is. It's sin. We don't need to try to put a pretty coat on it. His parents protested, but Samson shoves their counsel aside. He rejects their leadership and their authority. And he 
comes back with a more authoritative type word, get her for me. Get her for me. The greatest conflicts that we face today are fought on the battlefield of authority. People don't like authority. First off, they don't like the authority of Scripture. They challenge it and reject it because it reveals our need for Christ and it exposes our sin. They don't like the authority of Scripture. The authority of the husband is being challenged and rejected by the woman lib movement, but by, by the understanding of this young ladies and ladies in this room. Authority of a husband does not mean he's a dictator. He's supposed to be the leader. Leadership is not dictatorship. There's a difference. Marriage is not something where the husband rules and reigns over the wife. That's not what it's all about. But man, let me explain something to you. You stand before God for how you rule your family. For how you lead your family. You're going to stand before God for that. And if you lead your family in a godly way, if you have a godly wife, she'll be willing to follow. She'll be willing to follow. But the authority of a husband, they say, well... You're trying to place men on a pedestal above women. No, God's just showing us there's always a rank structure in everything that we do. There's always an authority in our life. I've had people say this, and this is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard, Brother Eddie. I don't like people telling me what to do, so I'm going to join the military. If you never heard that, it's a doozy, I'm telling you. I'm, I don't want people telling me what to do, so I'm going to have a drill instructor yell at me in my face and tell me to do stuff. And... That's what my life's going to be. I'm going to go do what I want to do. I'm going to go get a job because I don't like your authority. Guess what? You're going to have a manager and a boss at your job. There's always an authority in your life. You do good just to learn to submit to authority. The authority of the parents is now being challenged. There's children suing their parents because their parents didn't pay for their college. They're suing their parents because they didn't have all the things that the friend down the street had. Lord, help us in our society today. But you know where it starts? Taking the downward path. Heading down the wrong road. Samson rejected his parents' authority. And there's many young people in our, in our society today that are just like Samson in their disrespect. Their disrespect for good. Their disrespect for counsel. They don't listen to their experience. They live by emotion. But listen, we can point our fingers at the young people all the time. But what about us adults? What kind of example are we setting? Do we listen to godly counsel? Do we listen to the word of God? Or do we just live by emotion? They won't listen. They're not concerned about teaching. They're concerned about temptation. Temptation comes to them and guess what? They just want to yield to that. They're not going to listen to reason. They're consumed by it's my right. The fact is, there's some rights that you have in America that aren't right, according to the Bible. I don't care what age limit they put on it. The Bible says wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whosoever deceived thereby is not wise. You ought not to drink it. Why? Because the Bible says, let nothing that defiles enter in. Your body is the temple of the Lord. We ought to live holy, righteously, and godly in this present world. There's things that the world allows that God's law does not. And guess what? We need to stick to God's word and do what the Bible says. There's young people won't listen to parents. They won't even listen to their peers. They definitely won't listen to their pastor. They don't care if the boy or the girl's a rebel or a reprobate. Oh, he makes me feel good. We get to do whatever we want to do. There's going to come a cry in their heart one day 
So why didn't I listen? Young people, listen, you'll do good to choose the wise counsel in your life and listen to the godly leadership in your life because then one day you're not going to have to say, I wish I had. You're going to be able to say, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. Samson's parents stood giving him the word of God and the commands of God at this point. And parents, guess what? It's always wise to support the Bible. Always wise. When your young people ask you a question, listen, they're going to ask why because they need to know sometimes. The fact of the matter is, it's not wrong to ask why, young people, but there's a time and a place to ask why. It's your job to obey and ask why later. Just do what they tell you to do and ask why. But parents, when they ask why, don't use the lame excuse because I said so all the time. You say, why not? Now listen, they should obey because you said so. But if you're giving them a biblical principle on why they ought to do something, you don't need to tell them where it is in the Bible so they know why they're doing what they're doing. That's why we have a generation of young people that when they turn 18, they have no idea why they believe what they believe or where they're going or what they're doing because the parents just said, do it because I said so and didn't train them that thus saith the Lord. This is what the Bible says. God said, do it. That's why you need to do it. That's what we need to be training them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, not in the dictator leadership of your, your ideas. The nurture and admonition of the Lord. Why is it right for you to obey? Because God said so. Show them in the Bible where God said it. Why is it right for you to choose the right kind of husband or wife? Because God said so. It's going to cause you a world of hurt if you don't. Don't look into the Timnaths of the world. You don't need to go to the honky-tonks, saloons, the dance halls, the beer parties to find a wife or a husband. You need to go to places where godly people are. Godly people are. Look in the right places. Ask your parents, the people that love you more than anything. Those are the people you need to search godly counsel for. The Philistines had dominion in this time, and I was reading a quote that said this. It said, by a guy named Samuel Rideout, he said this, God's purpose will be accomplished in spite of my disobedience, but I can never use his purpose to endorse my disobedience. Let me read that one more time. God's purpose will be accomplished in spite of my disobedience. That means God's will is going to be done no matter what you do. But we can't ever use God's purpose to endorse our disobedience. See, Samson was using what God had put in his life to try to endorse his disobedience and do what he was doing. You don't reach drunkards for Christ by becoming a drunk. You don't do that. You don't reach harlots by having a relationship with them. Samson should have been going to war, not enjoying the spoils of the, what the world had to offer. He should have been fighting against the enemy of God, not endorsing the enemy of God. Oh, I'm going to win them by doing what they do. No, you're not. You're going to make them think that the church is a bunch of hypocrites is what you're going to think. Well, if I listen, I think you can be in the world, but not of the world. You understand we're, we're part of the world. We have to be in the world, but we don't have to develop their philosophies and their way of thinking and doing what they do. We can't avoid everything that's out there, but we can shine as a light in the darkness. By you saying, hey, I'm going to reach you by being a drunk. No, you're not. You're not. You're not going to reach them by doing that. What you're going to reach them is by having a godly testimony and letting your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
But God showed so many dangerous, uh, so many things in, in Samson's life that were dangerous, but God spared him from them. And it reminds me how the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance. You think about Samson went down now, and he's not supposed to touch any dead thing. But as his parents are walking with him, it, it gives the uh, idea that he wanders away from his parents because his parents didn't know the lion sprang on him. He's walking with his parents down to a certain area, and he wanders around into a vineyard, which first off, he's not supposed to be in anyway, if you read about the Nazarite vows and all these things. And there's a lion that springs up on him. And guess what? There's a roaring lion that walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour us. And when we're in the wrong place, guess what? We're open season for that lion. But in all this, he's doing the wrong thing, heading the wrong direction, brother, and the lion jumps out at him. But God shows grace. And lets him defeat this lion. And instead of it bringing him to repentance, he used it as, I was able to destroy a lion. The fact is, Samson's strength, he forgot where it came from. He forgot where it came from. His rebellion against God always led to a downward spiral. It mentions it three times in seven verses that he went down. He went down. He went down. If you read about Jonah, it said Jonah went down to Joppa. Jonah went down into the bottom of a ship. Jonah went down into the belly of a whale. All those things. Why? Because anytime you run from God, guess what? You're going down. You're going down. We ought not to allow what our decisions are based on, about society's opinion, but on the word of God. That's what we ought to base it on. Why do I do what I do? What's God say about it? What makes me want to live holy, righteously, and godly in this present world is that God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. They went down to Timnath. He went down to where the Philistines were. He went down under this, down under this. We read that three times. He went down, he went down, he went down. But later on, it talks about how when he finds this woman at Timnath there's a parable that he gives as he's wanting to marry this and he talks about the meat and the honey out of the eater came forth meat out of the strong came forth weakness all these things he's talking about this and he tries to give a riddle and what happens is the world the Philistines have his wife try to get him to tell him the riddle and here's what happens is he goes to this whole thing now and they they come back and they tell him what the riddle meant and he he realizes that his wife had told him And he gets mad, and he puts her away, and it says this. He goes up to his father's house. He goes up to it. You know what he's trying to do? He's saying, you know what? I got mad because this didn't work out. I'm just going to try to go back and think everything's going to be okay. God will always take you back, but you better have a repentant heart. Better have a repentant heart. God knows your heart. Samson wasn't coming back repentant. Samson was just coming back because that's where it was comfortable. That's where it was comfortable. Listen, you can't come to church and escape the consequences of actions you have to come with a repentant heart and because of that first john 1 9 if we confess our sins guess what he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness god will cleanse us from that if we'll just come to him but there's some dangerous predators out there young people that are going to destroy you but adults there's some dangerous predators that are on our path and that's that path of rebellion towards god when you go towards rebellion it'll destroy your life like it did samson it robs you of god's blessings It ruins your testimony for Christ. 
It rejects those who are concerned about you. It resists friendships with godly believers. It replaces godly authority with selfish desires. It revives sinful habits that you once had victory over. It rushes you into making life changes decisions. That's what rebellion does. And that's what Samson's life was all about. He had a rebellious streak a mile long. He wanted to do what he wanted to do and didn't care what anybody else thought about it. And listen, that's a dangerous ground for us to be on. So let me ask you this. What path are you taking? Are you taking the downward path or are you looking on the upward way? That song says, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. By faith on heaven's table and a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. What path are you taking? A higher path? Or are you heading downward? Listen, it's all based on your decisions. What you choose to do with God's authority. What you choose to do with the authority God places in your life. See, Samson had some things that drove him away from God. Oh, it looked good to the eyes, but it was detrimental to the spirituality. And listen, just because something looks good on the outside doesn't mean it is good. There's some things that have looked good on the outside but are poisonous on the inside. You know, all it takes is one little drop of cyanide into a cup of something that looks good. And you drink it and your life's gone. The fact of the matter is this. Just because something looks good on the outside doesn't mean it is. But listen, you'll never go wrong following God. Never go wrong following God. You say, what do you mean, preacher? You mean everything's going to be smooth sailing? I'm never going to have problems? No, I didn't say that. There's going to be problems. Why? Because anytime you serve the Lord, Satan's going to be on the warpath. There's going to be problems that you're going to face, different things like that. But you'll get victory through Jesus. You'll get victory through him. Just choose the right path tonight. With our heads